So Advent. Uh, we're looking at, over this Advent season at Matthew 25, which is, uh, I'm really excited about it actually, because it's looking at awaiting Jesus' coming. And uh, if you look up what Advent means on Wikipedia, of all places to get knowledge for a sermon, um, it actually defines Advent, or someone's defined Advent, as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for the celebration of the nativity of Jesus. An anglicized version of the Latin word Adventus means coming. Adventus is the translation of the Greek word parousia, commonly used to refer to the second coming of Christ. So Advent anticipates the coming of Christ from two perspectives. Firstly, the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah. So if you like the, the one we're used to, where you're looking forward to Christmas. Okay? But secondly, to be alert for the second coming of Christ. The second coming. And we haven't looked at that that I remember before. And this parable is very much looking at what it is to wait, to anticipate, to prepare for. So these words that we were using earlier for Advent, preparing, readiness, promise, all apply as we look forward, as well as we think about nativity. So first of all, I want to define, well, let's read this passage first. Would someone like to read Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30? Any volunteers? Okay, would you like to come up so we've got a microphone? Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gave five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest.' 
Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone, has his, everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you. That's the word of God. Amen. So what I'm going to do this morning is give a bit of an overview as to where this parable comes from, what it's saying, and then the theme today is time, looking at time, because, uh, and then in following weeks we're going to be looking at other things such as the talents and work and things like that. So today's theme is time. I'll try not to spray it, stray over into the other areas. <laughs> Good. So I want to start by asking what's a parable, because if you're not familiar with the Bible, then you may not realize that parables, that what they are, is basically a narrative. They're drawn from nature or human circumstances to illustrate spiritual truths. So they're not literal, they're story. But to benefit us, the hearer, we, the listeners, have to catch the analogy or it will remain hidden. It'll be a mystery. It'll just be a story. And Jesus used parables a lot. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, or this. Well, a kingdom isn't a mustard seed, is it? It's like one. And this is a parable too. So when did Jesus tell this parable? Bit of homework for you. I want you to look in your Bibles to Matthew 24. That's on page 700. And you've got a heading there called Signs of the Ends of the Age. And I'll read the first three verses. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these? He asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the next few chapters, Jesus tells stories to explain What is the sign of my coming and of the end of the age? Now if we go beyond chapter 25 to the beginning of of chapter 26, which is on the next page, 702, the first two verses read this. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, so we've got the end of the conversation, understand? He said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So these parables, several here, are sandwiched between those two great statements. The end of Jesus' life, as the disciples knew it, was coming. It was just a few days away. If you knew you were going to die on Tuesday, what would you say to your friends and family? Two days. So what Jesus was saying was really important. It was vital. He wanted the disciples to understand. And yet it's a parable. So my prayer is actually somehow our eyes will be open and our ears will hear what it is that Jesus is trying to say. So, going to this parable in particular, chapter 25, verse 1. It starts with, again. Good word to start. A story, isn't it? Again. 
which implies that actually this is following on from previous stories. There's a link, there's something being said. So to give the context of this parable, we need to look at what's been said before. So, back to chapter 24, which is headed, The Signs of the Ends of the Age. And Jesus in this section, if you go home and read it, it's my recommendation, we're not going to read it all here, but get into it. Read from there down to the next bit where it says the day, <clears throat> the day and hour unknown. And see what Jesus is saying, because what he's talking about is those end times before he comes again, and it's all wrapped up. He says they'll be tough, there'll be wars, rumours of wars, rising religious deceptions, false prophets and prophecies, natural disasters, persecution, and all the things that we've seen that seem very relevant to us today, if I'm honest. Who knows when the time will be? But then in verse 30, 29, Jesus says, But after the distress of those days, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Jesus is coming. Next section is headed up, the day and hour unknown, which reads from 36 to 49. Again, read it at home. And he gives the example of Noah. And Jesus was basically saying, in the times of Noah, everyone was carrying on doing their business just as normal, getting married, going to work, all these kind of things. And then he says, they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Jesus is coming. Then we read the next subheading, the parable of the ten virgins. I expect you're familiar with the story. So I'll just lead you through to verse 31, where it says this. Do you know the story? About five wise women, five unwise women, and they weren't ready to meet the bridegroom when he came. Five, the unwise ones weren't ready. The wise ones were. At the end of the story, verse 31, no, sorry, verse 13, Jesus says this. The summary of the parable. Therefore keep watch. You do not know the day or the hour, because Jesus is coming. <laughs> and then if we jump over the parable of the talents, to verse 31, <coughs> the sheep and the goats, which is the next parable before the conclusion, if you like, or it's the conclusion before he tells the disciples he's going to die. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, with all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and so on. What a Christmas that will be. So we often think about nativity, don't we, as a time when Jesus is coming to the earth. 
We think of a time that's predicted, but unexpected in its timing. And we see it as a time when the angels declare his glory across the earth. We're so familiar with that story, aren't we? I think we're a bit less familiar with the fact that Jesus says, he is coming to the earth. We're less familiar with the fact that it's predicted, but the timing is unexpected. But it will be a time when the angels show his glory over all the earth. So it's a challenging parable to be studying during Advent. (laughs) So let's look at this parable. So we've read it. The man called his servants and entrusted them with his property, his possessions, in individual amounts to suit their ability. There were decent amounts in terms of value. So you could do something with it. And last week, Paul spoke on giving. If you haven't heard it, it's on the web. And he challenged us to recognize that giving is not just about money, as it is in this parable. It's a parable. It's about what have you got to give. It's about time, opportunities, gifts, talents, money. And it varies according to our ability, and we're not to compare ourselves with each other, which is good. But today I'm looking at time. So we've got the context, and now I want to look at time. And I'm going to look at time in two perspectives. First of all, the big picture of God's timeline, if you like. Uh, yesterday I went for a walk with the dog. Had to get the dog in somewhere. And um, I was down in Blaze, and there was a heron standing in the pond. And I've seen the heron there before, which is quite nice. You kind of look, and it's sort of people stop and think, oh, there's a heron. Um, but there was a little group of people with a dog, and they were looking in the other direction. So I went over, because it's nice to chat to people, and uh, they didn't seem to mind. <laughs> and uh, I said, oh, what are you looking at? I said, oh, I said, there's a heron over there. She said, I know, but there's a kingfisher there. And there was, amazing, a kingfisher. I'd heard there's one down there, but there it was on the branch. I thought, oh, I'd love to see it fly. He said, we've just seen it flow in. That's what caught our eye. So I was standing there. And standing there, and standing there, kind of waiting. And in the end, I went home. (laughs) Because you didn't know the time. Nature teaches us things. We don't know the time. I could have thrown a stone, I suppose, but that didn't seem very appropriate. (laughs) The day and the hour are unknown. God's timeline So in that first section, which we read, the day and the hour unknown from verse 36, Jesus says this, keep watch, you do not know what day your Lord will come. And two verses later, verse 44, the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And verses 48 to 50, he's telling a story about servants in a house. And he says, but suppose the servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. At an hour he is not aware of. It was a long time. If we now move to the parable of the ten virgins, verse 5 of chapter 25, it says, the bridegroom was a long time in coming. 
And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And at midnight, at midnight the cry came. That's a really unusual time to go out and meet the bridegroom. Jesus was making a point. It may seem a long time, and there's a lot of waiting, but it will happen. And if you think back to the nativity, what we now call Christmas, it had been a long time coming. (laughs) There was an anticipation. The prophecies in Isaiah, which were 700 BC-ish, weren't they? 700 years before we knew a child was going to be born to a virgin and this kind of thing. But all that waiting, all that waiting. And then we get to the end of the Old Testament and 400 years before we hear another thing. And during that time, God's people fell away, really, if I'm honest. There wasn't much of a light in the world. So he is coming. We don't know when. And to some, it might seem a long time. And if you think around the world at the moment, I think there are some who think it's a very long time. And when we come, we'll give account. When he comes, we'll give account. Okay, now the personal timeline. So that's, if you like, God's timeline. It's interesting that in each of these parables, which we've touched on, and we see it in this one of the parable of the talents, it's all relating to individuals in the context of more people. So, when Jesus talked, there were two men, two women, one taken, the other left. A wise servant and a wicked servant in a house. It's good for the one, and the other is cast out. The virgins, five were wise, five were foolish. So the wise ones enter into the marriage, and the foolish do not. And then we get the power of the the talents. There are three servants, two are rewarded, one is cast out. Each one, each of these people, in all these parables, had a personal encounter with their master, whoever that master was in these parables. And he settled accounts with them, as we've read in the parable of the talents. So in our case of this parable, the master called his servants. They were all together in this. He treated them equally, though recognized their different giftings and gave them something to invest. But then they had to give account. So one of the things I draw from that is that none of us can rely on anyone else when one day we see Jesus. That's a scary thought, isn't it? It's actually a wonderful thought too. Depends where you stand. And I'll come to that in a minute. But that's all these parables say that. And in this case, we've got the one talent man. And he says this. I knew you were a hard man. <laughs> Was that true? It's a parable, isn't it? So he says, I knew it. Is that because God is hard? Was this man a hard man? Well, to the other two, he said, come and share in your master's happiness. That doesn't sound like a hard man to me. So if we think God is a hard man, perhaps we don't know him as he really is. 
If you and I think of God as lacking compassion or care or understanding, that he's distant and hard, then what happens is we slip into a deadly inaction, a passivity, a kind of state of resignation. And as for this one servant, he gets buried in, he buries things in the dark corners of his heart, doesn't do anything. That's awful, isn't it? And what did the servant do with this time that he had? Because they all had time, didn't they? Some of them invested. And the five got five more, the two got two more. What did the guy do with his time who had one? All that's recorded he did was dig a hole. And we don't know how long it took him, but it seems unlikely that it took him as long to dig a hole as it did for the others to invest and get so much return. Basically what he did was worthless, which is really sad. And it's really interesting in the, uh, in the original, as far as I understand, I have to rely on others for this, but it says that um, he threw, you should have cast your, or given your money to the bankers. And the word there is throw, ballow, to throw ball. You throw it. In other words, the least you could have done if you thought I was so hard is take your money and say, oh, bankers, do something with it. I can't be bothered. Even that would have been better than what you did, which was bury it. <laughs> it's a strong thing to say, isn't it? Sometimes I think God is hard, and I have to repent of it regularly. And Jonty is really good for me on this. Is Jonty still here? What's the regular question you ask me? Am I being thankful? Yeah. I keep a folder of things to be thankful for, because I know how prone I am to be unthankful, and to get hard-hearted, and think that God is hard. But he's not. He really isn't. And actually, if you note down all the good things that he's done, just like we've heard from Zara and Ben's health and things like that, if you note them down and recognize them, it's stunning how wonderfully caring and compassionate and wonderful Jesus is. Something about our hearts is just so prone to be negative. Just looking at the parable of the virgins, I know I'm not preaching on it, but... The dreadful error of the five foolish virgins was this. All ten had their own lamps. But five of them had oil. So the ones that didn't had this presumption that they didn't need their own oil and someone else would provide it for them. It was willful neglect. They were lazy. They thought that when they went to this house, there'd be a common stock of oil. And there's a warning in the parable that there isn't. And that you may come to church, you may join with other Christians, but you can't hide behind that. (laughs) Because God wants a relationship with you personally. And that's good news. So, you have time. Jesus hasn't come yet, which means that we all still have time. Hallelujah. So whether you think God is hard or not, you've still got time to know him. God is good.
Jesus is coming again. I was listening to a guy the other day, a chap I really respect, and he said, what are the two scariest lies in our world right now? Think about that for a few seconds. What are the two scariest lies in our world right now? This guy's a Christian, okay? So, yeah. He said, the first one is that you're a good person. And the second one is that because God is love, he doesn't call us to account or punish. That's tough. But that's such good news. Can you see that that's such good news? I'm not a good person. But that's why Jesus came. That's what the cross is all about. That I can't do it. I'm not right before God. And Jesus says, exactly, come then. Come. I have taken the punishment. In my first coming, I have taken the punishment. Now you're free to have fellowship with God your Father, your Creator. Even though you are messed up, come. Hallelujah. And that one day I'll be able to give account. And it won't be because of what I've done. It'll be because, look what Jesus has done with me, the wretch that I am. That's wonderful. This is such good news. I think I did this at church once before, but using a rope. Here's your timeline. Okay. Do you remember this? Maybe not. Okay. This is your timeline. This is life. Okay, and it goes on. Let's imagine that it's not tied around that radiator, but it actually goes out through this door, out of the building, through Bristol, across the river, down south of Bristol, far as Southampton, through Albania, down to the Far East, all the way around, back again. That's the length of this rope, okay? This is my timeline. Eternity in front of me. In front of you. <laughs> and you've got a life. How long is it on that line? Maybe say that long. You see the red bit? About two inches. That's your life on this earth. Our opportunity to live for God, learn how wonderful he is and serve him. But so many of us live our lives as if that's it. (laughs) But it's not. It's way longer. So our waiting is short, really. (laughs) Do you get that? So the encouragement from this is, let's use our time well. (laughs) However long we've got. In terms of the second coming, be prepared. Be in readiness. Recognize the promise. In terms of our life now, be prepared, be in readiness, recognize his promises, and let's live for God and do it well. I was talking to someone yesterday, it was Ian Campbell actually, I hope he doesn't mind me quoting him, too late now. 
<laughs> it's been recorded. <laughs> and I was talking about discipleship and just things like that. And I said, accountability. He said, oh, it's such a gift. I thought, oh, I've never heard. And I said to him, I've never heard anyone say that accountability was a gift. So kind of pondering that a bit. Because accountability, you know, you have to be accountable at work, don't you? Which is a bit of a pressure. <laughs> you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do this in this time, that, that, that time. And it, it kind of abuses the word, perhaps. But in kingdom terms, accountability is a gift. Because actually, if I'm safe in Jesus and know he loves me, I want someone to help me to know him better and live well and make a difference. So accountability is very different to a kind of discipline in that sense. It's a joy so that I know that I'm going to have oil in my vessel when I'm waiting for the bridegroom. So I know that I'm not going to dig a hole, but I'm actually going to use whatever God has given me, even if it's really small, use it well. And so that when I think it's long time waiting and I start to get tired and think, oh, I'll just go and get drunk, that someone says, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Hold on. God is good and encourages. And you know I'm passionate about discipleship. So one of the ways in which I believe that we can hold each other to account is just to be real with each other. And it doesn't matter if we've messed up because actually I'm not good. But God is. And he's inviting us into this relationship with him so we can live well. And when we see him face to face, amazingly, and it will be amazing, it will bring tears to my eyes, a well done, God willing. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That when he comes again, the church is ready. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Israel wasn't ready when Jesus came and they didn't recognize him. Oh God, may his church his bride, those of us at Cairns Road, be ready when he comes and usher him in and join with the angels in adoration and worship because of how good he is and how he's come to save the whole world and put it back straight again because doesn't half need it. <laughs>